Amen. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, this morning and turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 45, Genesis chapter 45. The writer of Proverbs says that there are many plans in a man's heart, and you know there are. There are all kinds of plans that we have, all kinds of activities, all kinds of schedules. If you look at our calendars, you'll see all kinds of things that will consume our moments and our time. It doesn't really matter where you are in life. I had somebody just recently who had retired who said, I don't know how I had time to work when I was working. Even though I'm retired, I have so much to do, grandkids to chase, things to get accomplished. You know, there are so many things that consume our lives. Usually during the weekend, Leslie will look at me and she'll say, okay, what you got this week? She'll say, which night of the week are you going to be home? And just so you know, that night you think you're going to be home is a night when we've got to go to a ball game or we've got to go watch the kids do something because there are all kinds of plans. There are all kinds of activities. And certainly it's good to plan. It's absolutely necessary to plan in our lives. But the writer of Proverbs says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the purpose of the Lord. It is the will of God which will prevail. So think of that just a moment. All the things that we have scheduled, all the things that we are about each day, you know, those things emanate from our own desires, our own hearts. But it is God's purpose and plan that ultimately will prevail. And aren't you proud he has a plan? Aren't you proud that our God knows what he's doing and he is working all things out for his glory and our good? I mean, that is the message of the Scripture. If you read through the Old and the New Testament, you will see that God had a plan and God still has a plan. And that God is committed to working that plan so that his glory could be beheld and so that our good could be known in life. Genesis 45, just a reminder that God always had a plan. That God was working forward toward that plan in order to work for Joseph and also to bring salvation to his people and to the world itself. Genesis chapter 45. There are several things that have, that have happened since the last time we came together. When you look at the chapters before this, you'll see that there's a back and forth. I've actually fast-forwarded in the life of Joseph just a bit, and I know there is a collective Amen, probably. You're kind of ready for me to move on just a bit. But there's been the back and forth. The brothers came and they saw Joseph, but they didn't recognize him. He recognized them. And there are some tests, I think, that Joseph lays out in front of them. I think he tests them to see if they're telling the truth about his dad, about his brother. I think that he is testing them to see if their character has changed since the last time that he had seen them. Remember, it had been 20-plus years. Actually, it's going to be 22 almost to the exact time when we look at this passage. So he's testing them. There's this back and forth. They go back to Canaan. Their brother Simeon is left in Egypt. They tell their dad. Their dad's like, you can't go back until the famine finally squeezes them, and they head back into Egypt. 
There's a banquet. There's Benjamin that's there. They leave again, and then before you know it, they are brought back to Egypt under suspicion of stealing, stealing this precious cup, this precious vessel of Joseph. And Judah, he stands and he gives a sacrificial speech on behalf of the family. You remember, Joseph is going to keep Benjamin. Benjamin, that is the apple of the eye of Jacob now. Now that Joseph's gone, it is Benjamin that Jacob looks to and loves so much. And Joseph is going to keep him as a servant. And Judah stands. And Judah says, I cannot allow this to happen. My dad is old. My dad loves this boy. I promised my dad that nothing would happen to this young man if we came back to Egypt. Take me instead. We pick up in the story right there. Genesis 45 verse 1 says, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. He sees Judah. He hears him. He hears his heart. And I think in some way he, he finds out in this test that there are some things that have changed. Actually, this is Judah standing up for his brother. Joseph didn't know what it was like to have brothers that would stand up for you. And here's Judah standing up with a sense of sacrifice, giving himself for his brother. And the scripture says that Joseph could not restrain himself any longer. He had been able to keep it together up until now. As a matter of fact, back in chapter 43, verse 31, he had been able to pull things together to restrain himself so that he did not become overwhelmed by emotion. But now, there was nothing holding him back. You ever been there before? Like you could, kept, you could keep it together for a certain time? Now, I know some of you are probably emotionally stronger than I am. Uh, but there are moments where I just can't, like, keep it together anymore, you know? Like, I, I, can, just start, I, can, I, can, I can just start crying. Now, no, it's not often. Some of you guys looked at me like real men don't cry. There are times when, like, the emotion of it, it can be an exciting moment. It can be a joyful time. It can be difficult times of where just all of a sudden I just, I just let it go. And Joseph let it go. Isn't that in a Disney movie somewhere along the way? Frozen? See, somebody, I heard, it, I heard somebody. I finally resonated with a child somewhere in here. I just, I just let it go. And Joseph could not restrain himself anymore. Joseph had been keeping it together. He'd been going through this emotional roller coaster. Sometimes he had to leave the room beforehand, but he was at least able to regroup and come back in and, and keep himself. But now, the scripture says when he hears this plea from Judah that he can't restrain himself anymore. And he cried out, make everyone go out for me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Can you see this? Just a very tender moment in scripture. I, I love it when the scripture just reveals to us the raw emotion of things. When it's just very open to us. Joseph cannot restrain himself, and he begins to weep and to sob. 
and to cry. And he is weeping so violently that those who are outside the room can hear him. The Egyptians, Scripture says in verse 3, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Now, up to this time, they had not been able to tell or that this was Joseph. They had not been able to recognize that this was their brother whom they had sold into slavery. They had not been able to know that up until this time. But now there is the recognition. There is the, I am Joseph, the declaration that is given. Now, I don't know exactly why they had not known him up to this point. Things change, right? From 17, basically, to 39, things change. So he's looking a little different. Now, most, some of us, maybe some of us haven't changed much, but there are a lot of us who changed between 17 and 39, right? He's also in Egyptian garb, the wardrobes. He's also speaking the Egyptian language when they meet him. There are all kinds of things that have changed about him. So they didn't recognize him. But now he says, I am Joseph. And the scripture says that they are dismayed. I bet they were. That word actually, it actually indicates panic that seizes a person when surprised by obvious doom. That, that's the definition that is given of that word. Panic that seizes you when you are surprised by obvious doom. They just know this is their end. Joseph. Remember, they believe that every bad thing that's happened to them has been because of what they did to Joseph. And now they are standing in the presence of the one that they had called no more. The one that they thought was non-existent. Joseph. They must have been looking around at themselves like, how could this be? And maybe they even doubted it to begin with. I mean, maybe Zebulon. Zebulon, did you say something to this ruler about his name? Did you, are they playing a trick on us? But the more that it goes on, the more they recognize this is Joseph. The more they recognize that the best kept secret in all of Canaan was now public for all to know in Egypt. Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. Physically, spatially, they were to move toward Joseph. Later on, he will say to them, that they are to look at his mouth and to listen to him as he speaks to verify that he is who he says that he is. And maybe that's kind of what he's doing here. Come closer, look at me. I want, to, I want to imagine it was something like this. I want to imagine that it was something like, hey, look at my nose. Isn't this daddy's nose? Some of us have daddy's nose, right? Look at the eyes. You see the eyes of my mother here? Come look at me, come closer, and gaze just a moment and see if I'm not who I tell you that I am. So they come near. Oh, by the way, that word means to come close spatially, physically, 
but it is also a term that can speak to intimacy. I've come close to me. I've come close to me and recognize who I am. I am your brother. And in case they need, needed any more verification, it says in verse 4, then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Yep, he knows what has happened. He is the one. Verse 5, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Maybe you ought to take your pen or highlighter, or maybe if you've got that iPad, you can just kind of highlight it. But you ought to make sure that you emphasize, that you highlight those two words, God sent. Because this is what I've noticed about this narrative as I've studied through it over the last few weeks. That God had a plan. That God had a plan for Joseph. And that Joseph recognized that God had worked in his life to place him in this strategic position so that he can make a difference for the kingdom. You see, up to this point, it was like, you, you know, you're the ones who sold me into slavery. You're the ones who sent me to Egypt. That's the way it sounded when it begins. But actually, what Joseph says is God sent me before you to preserve life. That word sent has a missional aspect to it. It, it, it means that you are sent with a purpose. That word can be used to speak of the prophets of the Old Testament where God would send the prophets. He would send them with a message and a mission. So what Joseph is recognizing in his life is God has sent me here. He has had a specific purpose. He's had a specific task for me. God was the one who placed me here in this position. Look as he continues to read. He says, for these two years, the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me. Notice that again, verse 7. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry up. Go up to my father. Say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. And there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. What an unbelievable type of Approach, speech, recognition in Joseph's life. At least three times. At least three times. Verse 5, verse 7. I would even include verse 8. To say that he spoke clearly. His, his identity in God. That he knew that God had sent him. That God had a plan. 
He said it so clearly, did he not? It was not you who sent me. It was God who sent me. It was not you who sold me ultimately into Egypt. It was God who brought me to Egypt. You know, you might have you thrown me in the pit. You might have sold me to those Midianites. But God had a plan the whole time. God knew what he was doing. You know, you, know, you might have caused my being in Potiphar's house and all these accusations coming against me, but God knew what he was doing. God had a plan. You know, I was in that prison, and I had to deal with that baker and that butler, had to deal with their dreams, and for two years he'd forgotten about me, but God remembered me because God had a plan. And it was before Pharaoh with those dreams that were taking place in his life and the interpretation that he had needed. You may have been the one who sent me here or it appears you sent me here. But I know it was God who sent me here and placed me in this position. How awesome is it to be able to stop in life and to look around to see all the struggles and all the difficulties, to see all the achievements and all of the accomplishments, and to know ultimately as a child of the believer that God was active in your life all the way, that he was responsible for where you are, that he was able to take all of the hurts and the pains and the wounds, and he was able to tie those together with all of the celebrations and smiles and delights, and to bring you where you are now. To be able to stop and say, God sent me. In verse 8, specifically those two words, but God. A few weeks ago I talked about those two words. But oh, how those two words make all the difference. Right? But God. It would seem all that was lost. It would seem like my brothers were against me. It seemed like everybody had turned their back on me, but God. It seemed like difficulty was the characteristic of the day, but God. God sent because God had a plan. I love the way the psalmist really summarizes it. In Psalm 105, verse 16, it speaks of God. It says, moreover, he, that is God, called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He, that is God, made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his, the princesses at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. God was the one who had sent Joseph, and they recognized that many, many years afterwards, that God had sent him with a purpose. And why did God send Joseph there? Why did he send him there? Joseph said, 
The reason God sent me here is so that I could bring salvation. Did you hear those words that I read earlier? He basically says, God sent me here to save you. Because when this famine, when it takes its full hold in the next five years, it's going to be so difficult, there's no way that you or other Canaanites could truly survive. So God sent me here so that I could take care of you. Now, I probably would have, I probably would have wanted to use some adjectives here. You know, when I say take care of you, 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 uh, you filthy, deceiving. I've got so many others. But Joseph didn't do that because there's no bitterness or vindictiveness at all in this. He said, God sent me here to take care of you, save you, save you as a family. All the grain, all the harvest for you. So he says, God sent me here to save you. And if you read through this, he also says that God had sent him there to save a posterity or a remnant. So not only was he saving his immediate family, but he was saving the nation. He was saving the nation. We'll get back to that in a moment. But he was saving the people of Israel. And ultimately, what was he doing? He was going to save the world. He was taking care of the Egyptians. He was taking care of other nations. We saw just a few weeks ago, all these other nations were coming to him for food because God blesses the pagans through his people. God had a plan for him. The scripture says that we are his peculiar possessions. The book of Exodus will speak about the people of God later on as being the peculiar treasures. Some years ago, Ken Hemphill said that the best translation of peculiar possession or peculiar treasure is a movable possession. In other words, that we are his possessions, but we are movable possessions. That God will take us and put us in the right context at the right moment for his kingdom purposes. Movable possessions. I've always remembered that. Of how God can take us and move us around. Because we're not fixed assets. We're movable assets. And he uses us, whether it's in Canaan or it's in Egypt, to fulfill his purpose and plan. Because this is what I recognize. God had a plan for Joseph, but God also has a plan for you and for me. I believe that. I hope you do. There are too many people today that have given up hope. They feel like they're living a life that is purposeless. No purpose whatsoever. I want you to hear today that if you have breath in your body, you're right here. If you're a believer in Christ, if you've trusted him, then God has a purpose, a redemptive purpose for who you are, and he wants to work his plan in your life. 
And through this study, we've seen that you could be in the pit, or you could be in the prison, or you could be in Potiphar's house, or you could be in Pharaoh's palace. It really doesn't matter. You may be moved around in all kinds of different ways, but God still has a plan and a purpose for you, and he wants to work on behalf of you to achieve his glory, to see his kingdom move forward. So you believe that God has a plan. He had a plan for Joseph. He has a plan for you. And you may not always know exactly what that plan is going to, how it's going to be fully fulfilled. You really don't. I mean, Joseph had only partial revelation at times. He, he, he didn't know all the way this was going to work out until now when he can look back in life and say, oh, yeah, God, you were working there. Some of you had those moments where you stopped and you just thought, oh, yeah, God, I really didn't know how you were going to use that. God, I, I really didn't even know why you would do something like that. But God, I'm beginning to see it in a clear way. And, and you know, God, what I've recognized? You're not surprised by anything. You didn't get up one morning and say, oh, Reggie's in the pit today. Should have seen that coming. Oh, Reggie, he's going through that time of of trial in Potiphar's house. Man, if I'd only made some type of provision. That's not the God you and I serve. The God you and I serve knows everything that's coming at us. And he is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's the God we serve. So you may not know all of how God's going to use your story or your life, but just know he's going to. And he may use in that same kind of context the family. I would say the church, the people of God. And certainly the world, right? If anything we ought to know at Temple Baptist Church, and that is this, we are a sent people. God has sent us. He has ordained our purpose and our plan, and he is empowering us each day to live lives of gospel declaration to this community and beyond. We are sent people. Oh, I told you I was going to get back just for a moment about God's saving the nation through Joseph and ultimately the world. If you've heard me preach a little bit over the last few weeks, you probably have heard me talk about this cosmic battle that I think was taking place and is still continuing to take place. In the Old Testament in particular, there was a cosmic battle between Satan and his legions coming against God and his kingdom. And you know what Satan wanted to do? What he wanted to do was stop the coming of Jesus Christ. Oh, Satan knew that Jesus was going to have to come. God had already told him. Remember, during that day, that day of the fall, the day of the sin, that when sin first entered into this world, remember, God had said there would be consequences. 
And he told the serpent that there would come the seed of the woman who would bruise the serpent's head. God had already told him the plan. God already told him that there was one who would come. So what did Satan want to do? He wanted to stop the coming of Jesus. So he would battle. He would do everything he could to destroy the people of God. Here, he thought maybe through the famine, the people of God could be destroyed. Maybe even down in Egypt, the people of God could be destroyed. But this is what Satan hasn't quite learned yet. Or maybe yet. He, he's going to learn it fully at the end of time. And that is this. Our God is a whole lot more powerful than Satan himself. Because our God can take all those things that Satan meant to be evil, and he can use them for good. So a trip to Egypt, nothing for God. It's just a place where God will take care of his people. And even though Satan tried to destroy the people of God, and later on, just as we looked at in the last sermon series on Esther, where he tried to do the same thing, God kept overcoming and overcoming and overcoming. Because God had a plan. And God was going to fulfill that plan by sending forth Jesus Christ as our Savior. Oh, this is what's good, is we recognize God had a plan for Joseph. God has a plan for us. God had a plan for Jesus. For God to love the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. New Testament, God sent his Son. And when did he come up with that plan? I'm proud you ask me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Revelation Chapter 13, verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God knew before the foundations of the world were laid, God knew he would send his son Jesus. God had a plan all along. Old Testament, New Testament, all of history, everything points toward the Son, Jesus Christ. And God was working that plan. He sent him, and he exalted him. It's a lengthy quote, but I wanted to read it to you this morning. It was from Max Lucado. As he drew some parallels, and all, well, comparisons and contrasts between Jesus and Joseph. He said, Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver, Jesus for 30. Joseph was falsely accused and thrown into prison. Jesus was condemned for no cause and nailed to a cross. The brothers thought they had seen the last of Joseph. The soldiers sealed the tomb thinking the same about Jesus. But Joseph resurfaced as a prince. So did Jesus. While his killer slept and followers wept, Jesus stood up from the slab of death. He unwrapped his burial clothes and stepped out into the Sunday morning sunrise. God gave Jesus what Pharaoh gave Joseph a promotion to the highest place. 
God raised him from the dead and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. This is where the similarities cease. Because Joseph's reign and life eventually ended. But Jesus, heaven will never see an empty throne. Jesus occupies it at this very moment. He creates weather patterns, redirects calendars, recycles calamities, all with the goal of creating moments like this one in which we, his undeserving family, can hear him say, I am Jesus, your brother and king. God had a plan for Joseph. God had a plan for us. God had a plan for Jesus and our salvation. Why did Jesus come? For our salvation. He was sent on mission and purpose. Later on, and we'll talk more about this next week or so, but verse 15 will tell you that they see, Jesus, they see Joseph, and they come around him, and they, they embrace, they talk. Now, that is quite the contrast from earlier narratives, which says that they didn't have a good word to say to Joseph. But now they're talking, and there's some type of fellowship and connection that is there. I thought about this as I thought about our relationship with Jesus. That you and I, apart from Jesus, we had hostility toward him. Yes, we did. You may have thought, oh, no, there's never been a day in my life where I had hostility toward Jesus. Yes, uh-huh. Read the New Testament. It says that our carnal minds were hostile toward his purpose and his plan. Romans chapter 8, verse 7. It says that we were at enmity with God. We were like strangers. We were outcasts. It was as though we were those brothers who had done all these deceitful things. And Jesus revealed himself to us. I'm Jesus. Hey, look at me. I'm Jesus, he said. Note what I did for you. Note how I saved you, how God sent me on your behalf. And if you look closely, you would see the nail-scarred hands and the marks of the nail in his feet. And you would see the love of God expressed in the most supreme manner you would ever know because he died for us on the cross and he rose that third day in power and glory. And today... What we can do in our hearts and lives is embrace him because of what he's done. We can have faith and trust in him because God had a plan, right? We can have faith and trust and we can run toward him and experience salvation. Today, that hostility can be turned into a friendship that he gives us. And I pray that if you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, God's got a plan. Yes, he does. He's calling, he's speaking to you. You come to him and you accept him as your Lord and Savior. You give yourself to him. And if you already have, 
many of us in this place have? Oh, how we ought to get down on our knees and thank him for the plan that he had before the foundation of the world and the plan that he effected in our lives as we've served him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Speak to us now through this moment of commitment and invitation. And Lord, help us to, Lord, accept the plan that you have for us and to see it done as we live sent lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?